All right, in a moment we'll be going to the book of Jonah and maybe finishing the book of Jonah tonight. Uh, the passage that we will be reading in a moment, uh, not the first time I read it in preparation for this study, but somewhere along the line I read it and I just started laughing. And I think you'll see why. I think you'll see why uh, when we get there. Um, so Jonah chapter 4, and in just a moment, maybe you'll see why I laughed. Maybe you won't think it's funny. Um, I've titled this sermon, Jonah's Second Prayer. We all know the prayer in the belly of the fish. We talked about it at length. We, um, I pointed out that commentators have called it a prayer of declaratory praise. Uh, so if the first prayer was a prayer of declaratory praise, the second prayer is a prayer of theological whining. Uh, and which is what makes me laugh, because the more times I read Jonah's words here, the more petulant he seems, like a child. Um, but I'm that way too. So first I laugh, and then I think, yeah, I, in my heart I sometimes feel this way. Um, so we'll start by just reading all of chapter 4 together. And this is how I've been doing our time in Jonah because it's narrative and because I'm trying to cover pretty big sections at a time. We will read the whole thing, then we'll pray, then we'll go back through it verse by verse and draw out meaning and context. And then at the very end, we will look at how does this whole narrative apply to me. That's, that's been my method for this book. Um, so let's start like that. Let's read chapter 4, and then we'll pray, and then we'll uh, go through it verse by verse. I know it seems like a lot of content, but it's a pretty simple story. Uh, remember, what just happened is Noah preached to the Ninevites. They are Noah. How many times have I said Noah tonight? Was that the first? Okay. It sounds the same. Jonah... Um, See, Olivia's not here to correct me, so my mom is here to help me. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you're seated up, seated up front. Uh, okay. Remember that Jonah, the prophet, um, has just preached to Nineveh, and the Ninevites have repented in, in a really over-the-top, significant kind of way, all the way up to the king of Assyria. He's mourned and repented. And... Uh, because of their repentance, God has turned away, okay, the, the word here is repent, but he's turned away his judgment. And uh, then we get to this passage, and we, we see Jonah's response. What does he think about that? I think you could probably guess. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. It's very hard for me not to read that in like a really whiny voice. <laughs> Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? 
So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. He loves to say this. This is the third time in this book that Jonah has used this expression. He's very dramatic. He is a... And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even to death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than sixscore thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Let's pause for prayer. We'll look a little bit more closely at this passage. Father, we thank you for the examples you give us in Scripture, good and bad. We ask that we would um, see Jonah's example and that we would uh, correct, that you would lead us to have your priorities, that um, uh, our, our natural feelings would be subject to the viewpoint and the will and the priorities of God. Father, would you use your word to change us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. Well, let's go back to verse 1. We'll work our way through the passage. I'll make some notes. I think there's some interesting things to learn here, and then we'll uh, think of what we learn from, from the passage and actually the book as a whole. We'll talk about the whole book here at the end. Starts off, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Okay, so the words here for it displeased Jonah, literally, it was a great evil to Jonah. So what Jonah is, Jonah's attitude is, I see what God is doing, and I think it's wrong. I think it's unfair. I think it's unjust. I think it's evil that God would spare such a wicked city. And I actually brought along a book that I wanted to share what they wrote. Um, an interesting insight uh, into what Jonah, Jonah's ex- the expression describing Jonah here. Um, it's a good book, by the way. It's uh, The Message of the Prophets. It's expensive because it's a textbook, but it, it would be worth your while. Um, he says there's wordplay in verses 1 and 2. Literally, the Hebrew of 4.1 reads, it, meaning the actions of God, was bad stuff to Jonah. Great, big, bad stuff. The Hebrew word for great is used several times in Jonah. We'll actually see it one more time before the end. Uh, Yahweh hurls a great wind on the sea. The sailors fear a great fear. Yahweh sends a great fish. And Nineveh is a great city. Ironically, now Jonah sees Yahweh's compassionate removal of judgment as a great evil. Jonah then states in essence, I knew this would happen. We'll come to that in just a second. Um, So I I, I didn't notice until I read that 
the, the use of this great. And it's mostly being used from God's perspective. But here's Jonah, and he's looking at God's pardoning of the Ninevites. And he says, this is a great evil that God would do this. All of the things that Jonah's about to say about God, we would not think of them in any other context as evil. Let's read verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Like they said, he's basically saying, I knew this would happen. I knew, God, you were going to do this. This is so like you. You always do this. Like he's mad. He, he is mad. It says he's mad. He said, I, that's why I ran away to Tarshish, because I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. Like he's mad about these things. How is God so consistently merciful to people? I knew this would happen. You couldn't pull the wool over my eyes, God. I brought this oracle of judgment and you were planning to forgive them the whole time. Petulant. I knew it. I knew you'd be merciful. You always forgive. You always give mercy. It's like he's using God's consistency as gracious, slow to anger, and kind as insults. Not a very nice conversation he's having with the Lord of the universe. What a strange place for Jonah to be. How dare God? How dare God have mercy on them? It's not fair. They're the worst. I don't want them to be spared. The interesting thing is, he's almost verbatim quoting Scripture in this prayer. Uh, we, have, we have time to look at it. Let's go to Exodus 34. And where the, the portion of Scripture that he's quoting, or nearly quoting, it's almost perfect quotation, um, it's theologically rich and it's a very different context. Exodus 34. <clears throat> and we'll, we'll read verses uh, 6 and 7. So, to give you a little context, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's receiving the law, and God is going to reveal his glory to Moses. So God, God reveals his glory, and then he follows it up with this statement. This is God speaking and describing himself to Moses. So that seems like a pretty significant thing. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That's the passage that Jonah is very nearly quoting. And then this passage goes on to say, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and guilt, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. So in this passage, it reveals to us that, yes, God is a God of justice. He's a God of judgment. But to those who would humble themselves before Him, He is a God of mercy. So yeah, I mean, if Jonah knew his Bible, which apparently he really, really did, I knew this would happen. <laughs> I knew you would be merciful. We should hear these words and say, praise God. That's amazing. Jonah hears this and says, unbelievable. Jonah, in his heart, he wished ill, he wished evil on his enemies. 
because he had a personal disdain for them. He had a bone to pick. And he wanted something bad to happen. That is the biblical definition of hate. Okay? There's a lot of use of hate in the world today. And some of it is probably accurate to our understanding of what hatred is. Some of it is probably not exactly what we understand hatred to be. When Typically, if you see hate in your Bible, it's talking about an attitude of you wish something bad to happen to somebody because you don't like them. And it's like a natural thing. You'll, you'll hear kids in arguments, I hope you, whatever. I hope you fall off the swing set. Okay, what is that? That's hatred. That is like the definition of hatred, which sets hatred up as the polar opposite of we've been talking a lot about biblical love. So if biblical love is, I want the best for another person, and I want to see them succeed, even at my own expense, I'm going to prefer them before myself, what's the opposite of that? I hope something bad happens to you. I, I wish something bad would happen to you because I don't like you, or I'm mad at you, or because of the thing you did to me. Jonah hated. He hated the Ninevites. And his hatred actually leads him to lash out at God in this prayer. Jonah's attitude reminds me, and I did, this is not original to me, this is a cross-reference you can find lots of places. It, it's reminiscent of an attitude that Jesus addressed. Let's go there, Matthew 18. Um, Verse 21. Then came Peter unto him and said, Lord, how oft shall I forgive? Shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And we're going to go on and read the next passage, but can you imagine what prompted Peter to ask this question? I don't think this was a theological musing. I really think. Peter was, I mean, maybe it was another disciple. Um, Peter and John seem to have a little bit of a rivalry going on. And maybe John has, you know, he's made him angry for, just, just gone over the line just too many times. Do I have to forgive him? And how many times? You know, who knows what, what's prompting Peter to ask this question. And uh, se- seven times? If he does the same thing to me seven times, then I can take vengeance Okay, And Jesus says, no, until 70 times 7. And then he, tells, he gives this uh, parable. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, remember we've been talking about kingdom of God. Matthew uses the expression kingdom of heaven. It's the same idea. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed 10,000 talents. That is a lot of money. Uh, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. It is not very much money. Uh, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. 
but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. And there's more to this story. We won't, won't finish it. This is the mentality that Jesus is uh, describing. A person who has been forgiven so much, not willing to forgive someone else. Here's Jonah. He has already been spared from death uh, that was brought to him because of his sin. He was going to die because of his disobedience. God forgives him, spares him, gives him a second chance. But then when Jonah looks on the Ninevites, he can only see them with hatred. It's bad. It's bad. So Jonah lashes out at God. I've asked, you've probably heard me preach. I don't, want, I don't want there to be a contradiction, so I want to explain this. You've probably heard me preach that I believe that when we come in prayer, we should bring our problems to God. Don't wait until you feel right to talk to God about it. If you're angry, bring your anger before God. If you're sad, bring your sorrow before God. If you're joyful, bring your joy before God. So here's Jonah, and he's bringing his anger before God. So why is that wrong? And why is it It's clearly being viewed in a negative light here? Well, it's because he's not coming to be taught. He's not coming to submit to God's will. I don't understand God. Show me. He's coming to tell God what for. And even when God tries to explain and tries to show him, and we'll see in a minute how God tries to show him the truth, Jonah digs his heels in and says, no, I refuse to be, I refuse to believe you. I, I disagree with you. You know, you can compare this maybe to the prayer of Job. Job definitely brought his emotions to God, his grief. But the thing is that Job came with a teachable spirit. That's the difference. Uh, that's why Job's prayer is probably a positive example of bringing negative emotion before God, and this is a really bad example. Job came to be taught. Jonah comes to just tell God off. So I stand by my, I stand by my preaching that we should don't wait until you feel right to come to God. Come to God with your feelings when it's overwhelming. But come to God humbly and be ready to be taught by Him. It's like Jonah whines, God answers, and then Jonah just decides, I'm not moving. I'm not going to change. Then we get to verse 3. Jonah says, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, it's better for me to die than to live. Um, again, he's pretty dramatic. Why did he want to die? And there's a lot of conjecture about this. Why did, why did Jonah want to die? Um, is it be, some people have proposed that, oh, well, Jonah gave an, an oracle of judgment, and then that oracle didn't come true, so that makes him a false prophet, so he wanted to die. I don't think that's a very good explanation because there are several oracles of judgment in the Bible that don't come true because of repentance. And those prophets are not false prophets. They're true prophets of God. And so I don't think Jonah had that mindset. I think it's more like he can't let go of his hatred. And he, he feels like, you know what? I'd prefer to be dead so I don't have to watch the Ninevites not get judged. I just don't want to be here to see this. I can't deal with it anymore. Also, I don't know if he means it because he says it so much. Like I don't think he actually feels that way. We know he doesn't feel that way, actually, because remember when he was 
sinking into the depths of the sea, he decided he didn't want to die after he said he did want to die. So I don't think he really means it. Verse 4, this is the Lord's response. Jonah is way out of line. He is way out of line. And I don't, I don't think if this story ended right here where God just killed Jonah and said, you know what, the end. I don't think any of us would fault God because this is, he is, uh, you would never speak to any royalty this way, let alone the king of all creation. But God is so patient, which is exactly what Jonah accuses God of being, patient. So Jonah's right. God is patient. And Jonah says, uh, or the Lord says to Jonah, he asks him a question. It's so wise. Only God could have come up with this. He says, dost thou well to be angry? All right, Jonah. I know you're upset. Let's stop for just a second. Why are you upset? And does it make sense for you to be angry right now? Do you have any justification to be angry with me? Let's really think about it. And Jonah is so mad at God's response that he doesn't even answer. He leaves. He, he gets up and leaves because apparently he hasn't learned the lesson that you can't leave God's presence. He, he doesn't answer God. He gets up and walks away. Um, it's like a... Like if you ever had like an older child or a teenager and you're having a dispute and they're getting worked up and they just like, they know you're right, so they, ugh, and they walk away and they slam their door because they don't want to talk to you anymore because you, at some point you were right along the way, but they can't deal with it. I really feel like that's what's happening with Jonah. Like he, he God asked him this very wise, very simple question and Jonah just leaves. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth. Okay, this is a temporary lodging. It's just you stack up a bunch of sticks into a shape where you have a, some kind of shelter. And uh, he, he sits under its shadow that he might see what, be, what would become of the city. So Jonah has decided, you know what? Apparently, he's decided, maybe God listened to my whining. Maybe I really proved my point when I walked away from that conversation without answering the question. And maybe he will judge the Ninevites. Lots of commentators are like, why does Jonah stick around if, he, if God has very directly told him he's not going to bring judgment? I think Jonah thinks maybe he won that argument. I'm not sure. But he goes up to watch. Uh, he's going to see what's going to happen. Um, and while he's waiting, God decides to teach him. God decides to send an object lesson to teach him a little bit about God's priorities. Verse 6, The Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So, Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. Uh, Gordon, he's not here tonight, is he? He said this is his favorite verse in the Bible. This is Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. And uh, I thought that was, he was like, I'm so excited. He's not even here to hear it. Um, so Jonah, he, he's, he's sitting there. He's hoping that God will change his mind and actually send the judgment. And God sends this gourd. And there's a lot of discussion about what kind of plant is this. It doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. It is a plant that provides shade. There are literally commentaries with like sketches of the type of plant. Like, oh, this is a Middle Eastern this and such bean plant and it has a, a big leaf that would have provided shade. It doesn't matter. And people are like, well, it has to be able to grow fast. No, it doesn't. God made it grow fast. It, it doesn't matter if... Anyway, th- this plant grows up overnight and gives shade to Jonah. And he's really glad about it. And the funny thing is, whole book of Jonah, this is the only time where Jonah is explicitly happy. He just, had, he just needed some shade. And uh, Jonah's exceedingly glad of the gourd. Verse 7, But then God prepares a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, here it is, it is better for me to die than to live. God is merciful. It's too hot out. I want to die. I, I want to be nice to Jonah, but the, the fact is if I'm ever this off base, I hope you guys will not be, you will be a little hard on me and get me straight, okay? Because Jonah is way, way off base. He says, uh, Jonah, he's being over the top. His problem, his real problem, is a problem of selfish priorities. He says, I want my people to be vindicated. I want my way for my life, so I'll run away to Tarshish. I want my creature comforts. How dare God take away my shade tree? And what Jonah needs is perspective. That's what God's trying to give him. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, here's a, he asked this question twice, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then saith the Lord, thou hast pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Jonah's really upset about the gourd. God says, it wasn't your gourd. You didn't even plant it, let alone make it grow. And the contrast, the comparison that God is drawing is, these people of Nineveh, I created them. And I've sustained them. And even though they're not Israel, I made their nation. I was sovereign over all of this. And it was always my plan to save them. You care so much for this gourd, but you don't care at all for these people. Those those priorities are pretty messed up. God says, I care for the people. God points out just how many people, and I understand, there's discussion about what this expression means. There is somewhere between 120,000 and 600,000 people in this city. Okay? Wherever, I don't want to go down that road. There's a lot of people is the point. And God is saying, look at all those souls. Look at all those people with, who are made in the image of, of God. And you care way more about this plant and how shady it is over your head than you do about the eternal destiny and the lives of all those people. It's like Jonah needed to be brought back to take a big step back and look at the big picture from God's perspective. And I think a lot of our fretting and a lot of our 
anxiety and a lot of our doubt could be overcome if we just took a second to step back and try to see it from God's perspective. And the wonderful thing is, we have, like over, I have over a thousand pages right here of God's perspective. And if we stop in the midst of whatever it is you're going through or whatever it is you're upset about or whatever it is that hurts you, and you step back and you try to see it from God's perspective. Maybe it won't take away the pain of what you're going through, and maybe it won't, you know, maybe your trial won't end, but at least you'll be able to trust God through it. You're going through a trial, you're going through something hard, you're going through something that hurts, and you take a second to step back and think, God has a purpose for this. God has a purpose. I don't know what it is. Maybe God is trying to get my attention. God, you have my attention. Maybe God is trying to prepare me to minister to somebody else who's hurting in the same way. God, prepare me. Teach me. Maybe God is, just wants to be glorified through me. Like, I'm faithful in the midst of this hard thing, so God gets the glory. And we, we get in the middle of things that are going on in our lives and we don't like them and we don't understand and we, we can get angry. Like Jonah was angry. And what we need is some perspective. God's got a plan. He's doing something great. He, his priorities are never out of whack and mine almost always are. We need to do what Jonah didn't do. We need to trust God we need to try to see things from his perspective. Scripture gives us his perspective. So we get to the end of the story of Jonah, and it has like an awkward ending. And everybody who's ever read the book of Jonah probably walks away feeling really dissatisfied. Okay? Uh, what are the last words? Also much cattle, I think. Like if you are making up a story, it would not end this way. Okay, obviously the, uh, the hero's journey, who, who came up with the Aristotle's poetics, the hero's journey, you know what I'm talking about? This was not written yet, so I don't, but I don't think the problem was that somebody made this story up and they didn't have Aristotle's poetics. I think it's that this is a true account and this is where the story ends. And really the beautiful thing about this ending is that it makes Jonah not the main character. If Jonah were the main character of Jonah, we would get resolution we would find out what happens to Jonah. Even if it's like fast forward 20 years and Jonah learned his lesson or Jonah died not learning his lesson, we'd get some closure. We don't get closure. The only thing we get closure on is this. This story was about God. And God's mercy was fulfilled. End of story. And we end on a note where God is talking about his own mercy. Shown to upwards of 120,000 people and much cattle that also didn't get destroyed when the city got destroyed. So it's like, it doesn't really matter what happens to Jonah or if he learns his lesson because the story was never about Jonah. It was always about God. The whole story of human history is not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. And when we come to terms with that, it makes a lot of things about life much easier. I must decrease. He must increase. He must get the glory. I think that's kind of the point of, of Jonah ending the way that it does. Of course, we can get some idea of what happened to Jonah because it's traditionally believed, and I think there's good evidence, that Jonah wrote Jonah. 
And if Jonah is writing Jonah, he clearly doesn't think much of himself when he's writing it. Okay, so if, if you want closure to the story of Jonah, think about the fact that Jonah went back and wrote all this down. And by that point, whenever that was, he figured it out. God was right this whole time and I was being awful. Okay, and he doesn't even write his redemption into the story Partly, of course, because of inspiration, but because he does, probably doesn't feel like he deserves to explain himself. I was wrong. The end. God was right. God is merciful. God is just. Um, let's focus on that at the end of our story. As we think back on the whole book of Jonah, let's just remember what it's all about. What did we learn about God? God loves to show mercy. He wants to forgive. He wants to spare. He's long-suffering. All those bad things God said about God, all those bad things that Jonah said about God are actually the good things we learn about God from this story. What do we learn about us? We learn that we must repent of our sin to be right with God. That's what we saw the Ninevites do. We learn that we often have wrong priorities. We need to remember to value what God values and to love mercy as He does. We learn that we can't run from God and the safest place is in His will. And we learn, as Jesus taught, to love our enemies. It's actually funny that when Jesus taught love your enemies, people were like surprised at that. You know, in Jesus' time, they're almost certainly thinking about the Roman Empire. They did not like the Romans. And God is saying, or Jesus is saying, love your enemies. And they're like, this is some kind of new revelation. That's kind of what like, the book of Jonah is all about, and they've had it for hundreds of years, uh, that God loved Israel's enemies, and God's expectation of Jonah was that he love his enemies and want them to repent and want them to know the Lord and want them to have mercy the way that Jonah had had mercy. It's a really good book, and, and I think at the end of the day, I, I, I'm really settled after going all the way through the book that the theme is this, salvation is of the Lord. And praise Him for it. Let's close in prayer and then we'll sing a song. Father, thank You uh, for the story of Jonah. Thank You that we see salvation and, salva and, and God's mercy throughout Scripture from cover to cover. Lord, would we share Your love and mercy for the world? Would we take the message of Your long-suffering and Your mercy, but also the oracles of your judgment to our fellow man so that all might come to know Christ through repentance. Father, as you work through us and in us, we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.